Good morning. Or as they say in Nashville, howdy. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and, and, and I love uh, history. And um, uh, some of you don't know, in, in uh, the 19th and 20s and 30s, when the recording business was just barely getting started, uh, they had an actual meeting because Louisville and Nashville both had about as much country music going on. And they were trying to decide where where they would focus the capital of, of country music because they knew it was going to be recording and people were going to be playing in bands and so forth. It wasn't anything like it is today. And they decided it would be in Nashville because all the musicians got together because Louisville had the Kentucky Derby and they knew that country music would never be as big as Derby. And now Derby lasts a week and country music lasts the whole year round. But I used to drive, uh, and I've lived in Atlanta for a long time, and driving through... Recently in Nashville, everything's gotten more yuppieized and corporate and all that. But for years, there was a place not too far off 17th Street, which I loved in the morning. And, and it just it, it uh, was a little mom and pop store. It was about a block or two off 17th Street towards Vanderbilt from uh, not on the Music Row side, but on the Vanderbilt side. And there was a big sign, and for 10 years out there, it says beer. It's not just for breakfast anymore. <laughs> There used to be those places that the, the, the word was waller around. They had bars where you could just like waller around in South Pity. Uh, and they've all cleaned them up. Even that little dinky stretch along there across from the Hall of Fame is now all cleaned up and nice restaurants. Um, so I don't know where the good alcoholics go now. We've been talking all weekend about recovery. But in the midst of recovery, it's impossible if you've been around for a while not to talk about service and talk about unity and talk about the gifts we've been talking about all weekend. Keith's been talking about them all day yesterday because it would mean nothing to suffer and to be drunk and to get here if the only thing you did was just not drink anymore. None of us would be here very long. Um, and, and, um, uh, and it's reason to celebrate on page, and we are recovered if you have worked through the steps that Keith talked about yesterday, you are recovered. On page 132 of the big book down at the bottom, it says, Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. Now, when you see the circle and triangle, which is no longer registered to us, we lost that a few years ago, but, but is typically the sign I've got a ring with a circle and a triangle in the middle of it, and some of you hats with, I don't know, I've seen shirts with them on around here. The triangle stands for recovery, unity, and service. Without recovery, I can't do anything. I have no power. Recovery is, is my access to the power. I was told when I came in that the 12 steps would allow me to learn to live with myself and access the power in this program. They do not teach me how to live with others. The 12 traditions do. How many people in here during the last year have either had a drink or thought about taking a drink? Okay, a few hands. And for you, it's important that you work on those steps because recovery, true recovery, in my experience, when you're truly recovered, the thoughts for alcohol vanish. They disappear. They're taken away from us. And there may be more house cleaning to do. And I do an annual house cleaning just so I grow. And I haven't had a desire in, in almost 28 years. But that's recovery. Now, how many people in here have had a problem with a relationship at work or at home during the last year? Yeah. 
the answer is in the traditions. We've got 36 principles in Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and the 12 concepts. And usually, anymore, the only thing that anybody studies are the 12 steps because they want to recover. But if you recover and then you are of no use to anybody outside, you're not fulfilling your purpose. The big, there's another page in here that talks about our purpose, and we're going to have a whole section on, on purpose um, uh, a little bit later. But it says that our real purpose on page 77 says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. That means fitting myself. My last house cleaning that I did with my sponsor, um, we went through every area of my life. He said, you've become a much better husband. You're more, you're, you're, we went all the things in, in terms of my relationship with my wife, in terms of work, in terms of, of the program, in terms of the things I was doing. He asked me to cut down on one area of activity uh, so that I could spend more time rebuilding my finances because I, need, I, need, I, I almost died three years ago and I took a hit on my finances and I have to be responsible in supporting my wife and having ample retirement. So instead of speaking 40 weeks out of the year, he wanted me to speak 12 weeks out of the year so that they cut down on it. And, um, uh, and, and at the same time, then he said, and also you're fat. And uh, I took that personally. And, uh, <laughs> but what he was saying to me was that if I am overweight and if I'm going to have a stroke and if I have a problem with energy, I can't be of maximum service to God and the people about me. If I'm feeling tired, if I'm worn out, I can't be of maximum service to God and the people around me. My job is to be fit in every possible way, and it's not just as a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's as a child of God uh, in this world, to everybody that I see, to anywhere, and to my wife. And, uh, and so he was right. And so I did. I, I, I took him seriously, and, I, and I, my sponsor, my sponsor talk, and I talk every day. He calls, me, he calls me every day, and he calls me every day because he goes and plays tennis, and then he has something in the afternoon, and then he gets together with his good-looking wife later for dinner, and then he goes to a meeting. He has a great life, and, uh, but he has a period. So he calls me, but we talk every day. And uh, he, he'll ask me, how, how are you doing? How's the, the diet going or something, if I forget? So, uh, uh, you know. And he doesn't harp on it, but he's concerned about me because he loves me, and he wants to see me more fit. He knows that I can be useful. And, and so, and if you look in throughout the big book, and we're going to pull this out more um, later, but throughout the big book it's filled with, with uh, notes about service and so forth. But today we're going to talk about, or this morning we're talking about traditions, and then we're going to talk about service, and we're going to talk about purpose. We're going to have three sections this morning with two breaks. Uh, I'm going to talk about the traditions of AA uh, right now and how we deal, how the principles behind those in our relationships. Um, right after that, we're going to talk about purpose, fitting ourselves. What is God's will? How do we use what we've been given if we recover? Uh, and in the third session, we're going to open up and have a question and answer uh, session to end on. Um, there's a book called, this is another AA-approved book, As Bill Sees It, which are writings of Bill Wilson's. Um, but some of this is from... Uh, this is from AA Comes of Age. Um, implicit throughout the, the AA's traditions is the confession that our fellowship has its sins. We admit that we have character defects as a society and that these def- defects threaten us continually. Our traditions are a guide to better ways of working and living, and they are to group survival and harmony, what AA's 12 steps are to each member's sobriety and peace of mind. <clears throat> 
And that group can be me and my wife. That group can be the guys I work with at work. That group can be the people I'm on a, a softball team with. That group can be uh, a veterans group. That group can be anything I'm involved in anywhere. It can be anywhere where they're one or, I mean, where they're another person and I. Um, and I had no clue, no purpose, no idea what I was doing in any of my relationships until I had been in the program for a while. My home group was a 12 and 12 group, and when they wrote the 12 and 12, it doesn't say the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. They're equally weighted, and they're equally weighted for a reason, because I have to learn how to deal with people as soon as I get sober. Most of you know the uh, traditions, or maybe some of you don't know the traditions, so I'll read each one as we go. And yes, for those who are in the back who are wondering, I do have the history of Memphis rock and roll embroidered on my shirt. <laughs> yeah, Elvis does live. Yeah. I just got, I just got a satellite radio. I got Sirius, and I got it because I can get University of Kentucky basketball on there. And, uh, and, uh, and it has a, the All Elvis channel on it. Everything we talked about this weekend has had at, the, at its base humility. If I'm going to surrender, then it means that I'm conceding I don't have the power. If I'm asking somebody else to come into my life to guide me, it means that I realize I don't have the power. If I'm admitting to you all these things about myself, about my fears, about my anxieties, about all my weaknesses, it means that, that, that I have to humble myself to you. In every area, I'm trying to humble myself. The very core of the traditions is also humility. The first tradition, and the one that is the core and the base for all the other 11, is our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Now, each one of these traditions is absolutely important in following it so that we continue to have AA meetings, we continue to have our fellowship, and there's a way for us to stay sober. But at the core of it is a tradition that is ever important for what we're doing in our own lives. Our common welfare should come first. Put simply, that means put us first, not me. We before me. And I'm married. I'm married 21 years. Now, I was married four years, and my, uh, this fellow that I was sponsoring, I mentioned I was trying to help him with his marriage, and he fires me because he's embarrassed about the way I treat my wife. And after I got over the shock and the embarrassment and my pride and all of that, I realized I don't know what my purpose is in that relationship. He said he writes a business plan for everything that he's involved in. But to me, that's just, I have to know what my purpose is. What am I there for? What is my job? And, that, and I actually got associated with and went to a place where a guy was teaching men how to be husbands. You know, he was sharing. It was, it was like this. It wasn't, it wasn't AA, but it was another fellowship where he was talking about how we are husbands. And I had to learn how to do that. Because I was in a relationship with my wife, and if I had stated my purpose in every one of the relationships I'd ever been in, it would be for me to have somebody who was good-looking for me to look at, for me to hold on my arm to make me look better when I went out into public, uh, for me to have a good time with, to have good sex with, and then if I was feeling bad, to make me feel better. Well, I am convinced that if I said, would you be in a relationship where this is the purpose of the relationship, that she would have said, no, she had her own agenda. She thought that she was going to get something out of it, and then I had something else that I wanted to. And, of course, I told her I loved her. I mean, every relationship you get involved in, you tell them you, sooner or later you tell them you love them. Back in the 60s, that was the only way that 
you could actually advance the relationship. But, but I had no purpose in my relationship. I had no purpose in my marriage. I didn't know what it was. Today, Barbara and I have an agreement. We are spiritual partners. We are one spirit together. We're two different people, but we're bound in our spirit. We both believe that we're put here on earth to be of use to other people and to support each other, and that our common purpose is to form a retreat, a safe harbor from the rest of the world so that we can go there together and support each other and, and be of support to each other when we're hurting and, and also to help each other and hold each other accountable to develop to be the very best people we can. So that recently when my wife's mother and father both died within a short time period, all I could do was the same thing Keith talked about. All I could do was hold Barbara while she was crying and she was hysterical. And I was, I was angry at God when the, the second death came so quickly um, because I love my wife. And, and, and my relationship has changed. We have a spiritual relationship. And that's why we're still married. Because I'm, Keith said they haven't had an argument in a long time. We do. I get short and I start... We get into it and we have an argument. But we also have a rule in our household that if we argue about something and we realize we're arguing, it takes a couple of minutes before you realize you're arguing in my household, that we stop and we, we do what we do in AA. We stop, we hold each other's hands, we pray and say, God, take this and tell us what to do. And not once when we go back and look at whatever we were arguing about months later, do we remember what we were arguing about in the first place. And God always works it out. The problem is I'm trying to get my way, she's trying to get her way. And, um, uh, and, and she may be based in fear, and I may be based in fear. Whatever's happened, it doesn't make any difference. We stop, we pray, and whatever it was it goes by the wayside because we put we before me. I had a uh, client, have a client recently. Three years ago I almost died, so I was doing more film work, and and I went back, and I had to pick up a, a client where it wasn't speculative. And I, I went back, and I picked up a, a marketing client where I do their advertising and marketing and things I used to do years ago. And this was a small company, and, and the client was uh, pretty hard to get along with and very, very difficult. And, um, but it was the only paycheck I had. And I had been out of work for a year, and now I had to have a regular paycheck. And, and when you got to pay the bills, you got to do what it takes to pay the bills. And so... Uh, I got this, and I and I just I felt like sandpaper. I hated being in this relationship with this guy. But if I trust God and I am doing something, whatever I'm doing today is God's will. I must accept that. that my what I'm doing today is God's will. And so I had this job, and I was getting paid a monthly fee, and it was paying the bills, and so I didn't have anything else better. So that was God's will. And I just didn't fight with it, and I just let go of it. And after this guy had been a client for about a year, I started adding on a few other things, but after this guy had been a client for about a year, he came to me and thanked me. He said he had gone through a personal bottom in his life. He didn't have a drinking problem. But he had surrendered his life to God, and he was living a new way, and he was in a fellowship, and he wanted to thank me because more than anybody that he worked with, I had helped him because at each point I had shared some principle, and he, re- he knew I was in the program, and he knew about my life. Uh, and he knew about the retreats I go to and, and so forth because I'm, I'm fairly open with people that I work with if I travel with them. And, uh, and now we are spiritual friends, and God had put us together because he needed me as much as I needed him. But I didn't see that when I was in the middle of it in the beginning. I just thought this guy was a jerk. 
Truly. I mean, that's the way I felt about it. But God had something going on. And if I had taken my little self and gone over here, but we before me. So I, I, I remember standing at a trade show, because I hadn't done this kind of stuff in a long time. And here's the guy, Wright, produced all this stuff. And I'm at a trade show, and we get there, and I thought he'd have a crew of people. And we were setting up some of the advertising and some of the other things. And, and, and so he starts, he says, i got to leave. Why don't you uncrate the furniture and set it up? You know, and I thought, does he know who I am? That's the way I felt about this. I mean, it was ego, it was pride, everything else. But because I served, because I did what I was supposed to do, because I put we before me, because I had this job, and, 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 I'm, and, and that's what he hired me. And I, I didn't say I can't uncrate furniture when I agreed to work with him. Because of that, and because he saw that I did do the job, that I did humble myself, that I did what I needed to do, he began to trust me, and a spiritual purpose was taking place in that relationship that was much more important. We always comes before me, and if that takes place, God can work within that relationship. The second <clears throat> tradition is for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. It basically says we have one authority, that's God, and we have no big shots. That's in my house, we have no big shots. I can't pull rank. At work, we have no big shots. In my kind of work, usually you get people that have egos, and somebody's a director, somebody's a producer, and it never works to have people who scream and yell and intimidate other people. And learning how to serve, I'm delegate right now in, in uh, uh, Georgia, and Jerry will tell you when you're delegate, you are the ultimate servant there. We have an upside-down triangle in AA. And like most things, I learned how to trust a man by telling him my innermost secrets in AA before I learned how to trust God. I have learned how to live most of these principles in AA, in here, before I could take them out into my family and into work and to other areas. And in service, as I have learned how to be of use to somebody in AA, I learned if I take that same, because you can't, be, you can't tell people what to do in AA. They gave you a hard time. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> and we laugh about it and we have fun. This is a great way to learn stuff because it's pretty gentle. People don't come up here and just smack the crap out of you and knock you down. They laugh and they make fun and you learn. And this is a great way to do it. It's a safe harbor for us to learn these principles that some other people have known for a long time that's out there in life. So one authority, no big shots. Again, when Barbara and I can't agree, I'm not in charge, she's not in charge. We go to who is in charge, and we ask God to take care of it. The third tradition is the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. The principle behind that is that we don't judge. We do not judge motives. It's not my job to judge your motive. If you come in here and say you've got a desire to stop drinking, that's good enough. I don't have to say, you know, this guy doesn't really want it. How do I know what's in your heart? And for me to judge you means I'm not offering you unconditional love. Most of the problems I enter into, me personally, that never come to fruition are when I am trying to judge what somebody's thinking or somebody's planning related to me. 
this person's going to do this, this contract's going to fall through, I don't think this guy's going to do this job over here, I don't think that person actually likes me. Well, you know, I mean, that's what I spend time thinking about. But it's not my job. My job is to do what God asked me to do one day at a time, simply to be of service to you, to be of service to my wife. And if I do, I've got a purpose. And as long as I'm fulfilling my purpose, what it's come down to, as long as I believe that God would be happy with what I'm doing, and I believe my sponsor would be happy with what I'm doing, and I believe that my wife or Keith or the people that are very closest to me would approve of what I'm doing, that I'm fine regardless of what anybody else thinks. We have something in AA that's, that's one of the most tragic things uh, around here called gossip. And it's written up in our literature any number of times that gossip can kill this fellowship. And I will tell you about a man who was in Louisville. Jack Sullivan was the first sponsor I was assigned to, but I had another man who worked his behind off. He was one of the best people I've ever known. He took me through the steps. And uh, he was as, as valuable a member of AA as anybody I have ever known. And he had been married to his high school sweetheart. And his high school sweetheart... And he had lived through all this alcoholism with him, and she was very cold, and I was over at their house a lot, and there was, very, there was a lot of friction in that household. And at some point, they ended up getting divorced. And there was just nothing there, and there was a lot of anger. And people in AA and Al-Anon ended up taking sides. And because, and I knew I was in that household. She presented one side out here in, in Al-Anon, and, and the divorce was two-sided. But he got all the blame. And that man felt so rejected at this fellowship, from this fellowship where he had just been of service and service and service. He threw his whole heart into it. That he has not been the same since. He goes to an occasional meeting. He's been lost for a long time. We wounded somebody's spirit. We killed somebody's spirit by the gossip in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that can happen. You know, there are people out there that... that, uh, And I'm going to talk about somebody that I used to make... uh, uh, smart remarks about, and that was Clancy. Because I thought Clancy was caustic and because I, I, I didn't like his attitude. And probably I was just jealous that, got, that at that time I was just jealous that Clancy got so much attention. That's really the truth. But I went to Clancy's home group. He got forced down my throat early on, and I went to his home group maybe 20 years ago, and I walk in there, and in his home group, everybody has a function. When you're out in the parking lot, they greet you. When you get to the door, they greet you. They help you find a parking spot. They help you get in the door. There's somebody over here doing the donut, somebody over here doing the coffee. Nobody sits down until every newcomer is greeted. There, It is impossible to go to that group without feeling like you're welcome and you're part of. And that's a lesson all groups could learn from. And afterwards, they all, nobody, there's no clicks. You, everybody, is invited to go out with them after wherever they go to get something to eat. And if somebody's having their birthday, they have a wake, and they, some of them stay up with them till midnight when they have their birthday. And I said, I don't know what this guy is like as far as the way he talks, but in, in action, this was his group, and he was there. Whatever he's doing, I want part of. This is great. And then since then, I've come to, since, you know, he was speaking a lot. Since I have started doing this and I realize how much work there is in getting up and getting on planes and going places and, 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 and giving up your time even when you don't feel good, Clancy does this every weekend all over the place, sometimes taking two or three planes to get there in, in addition to sponsoring the people he sponsors and in addition to, and, and he's thoughtful, he sends notes, 
and um, I have a great deal of respect for him. But there are people who will criticize him because they see him and he's out there and he's a target. And gossip doesn't help anybody. On a microcosm, you're bound to have the same people in your home groups. But you're also bound to have the same people in your family. You start gossiping about somebody in your family and, and, and throwing up partitions and walls. And it puts you in a position where it's difficult for you to have a kind and loving relationship with them. We don't judge motives. The fourth tradition. Each group should be autonomous except in manners affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Individual freedom ends when it threatens us, is the principle behind that. We're independent, yes, we're independent, but only to a point. And in AA, a lot of us come in with a spirit of defiance. And you say, well, it doesn't hurt somebody. I just recently moved out to a new place out, out in uh, Douglas County, and I went to some meetings at one of the groups out there. And everybody, including people who have been around for a while, every hour of the word was F this and, and GD this and whatever. And one of the guys that I sponsor who's active in service with me said, well, why won't you come and be a member of our group? And I said, well, I would not be a member of a group where I couldn't take a newcomer. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, I would not take a newcomer to a group where there was a great spirit of defiance because the spirits of humility and the defiance are opposites. It's not that I haven't heard the curse word before. But if everybody has is, is got that spirit of defiance, nobody's going to tell me what to do, and i got 20 years, and I can say whatever the GDF I want to and, and so forth. What am I teaching that newcomer? What are we teaching that newcomer? I go to a meeting in Maryland, and I'm in that meeting, and there are four people that speak, and all four of them were still using drugs, talked about none of them had more than six months sobriety. They talked about all their problems, their legal problems, their financial problems, their, their relationship problems, and so forth. And at the end of the meeting, one of the older guys came up and, and uh, said, I hope you come back. I said, why would I come back to this meeting? And he was shocked, and we talked about it. I can't go in and criticize them. I really can't. I mean, I, I can't change somebody who's lost. We offer the message. We don't carry them. And that meeting was lost. And that meeting may have killed somebody. I have a cousin. He was in Vietnam the same time I was. I said I was from a military family. And, uh, uh, and he served uh, uh, two tours in, in Vietnam also. He served a tour in Germany. Came back here. He worked hard. But he's alcoholic. And his family, his mom and dad, died from alcoholism. So he had no role model, but he knew about me. And his brother and I had been, stayed a little bit closer. And we finally, I finally convinced him he ought to try AA. And he went to some meetings, and I know where he went to meetings. It was up on the other side, in Indiana. And at this particular place where he was trying to go to meetings, all he did was sit around and complain about things. And our family is military. We don't sit around and complain about things. We do it. We serve. We get the job done. And all he heard was all this whiny stuff. And he said, well, if that's it, I don't want it. And we buried him two years ago from alcoholism. So what we do in this fellowship um, affects other people. That also affects our... We were doing a film up in um, uh, Akron that you saw, 
And I go in there, and my founder's day that I'd gone to in 1978, it was like going back to the church of AA. And everybody's wearing a coat and tie, and the old-timers were there. And it was just a real reverence for who we were and where we came from. And it was this kind of reverence that I produced this film with and so forth. So I go back, and I hadn't been there since then. And I go back, and I'm in Akron, and I'm going around, and we're we're prepping things, and I'm doing research, and I'm talking to people, and I'm, and I'm real. I said, we're doing a film about this. We're doing a film about Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought I would get this reaction where, oh, AA is a fine program. You know, we know it started here, and we all are, are just glad that Dr. Bob was here. Instead, what I got said, we leave town during Founders Day because all the bikers come in, and they raise hell all night, make noise, keep us up all night, and trash everything. So when we think our behavior does not affect somebody, what alcoholic who needed us, was watching and said, I don't want what they have, because I already live like that. I spoke at a conference out west, and I, I'm not real good with finances. This is a, a weak area, but after about three months, I realized that I'd been charged for a hotel that I didn't even recognize, and it was like you know, six or $700. I said, well, I had to stay there. It turned out I had stayed there, but, um, but uh, it was a year earlier, and I went back, and I called. I tracked it down through the credit card, and it was a hotel. And they said, well, you were here with such-and-such uh, such AA conference. I said, yeah, that was like a year ago. And they said, well, they didn't pay their bill, so we're uh, charging all the people that were here. What if that guy, the accountant, had a drinking problem? Would he think that this would be the program that would offer him a solution for his life? I mentioned the story about going into singular. Everything that I do, I should do, in my opinion, I should do as though my father were watching me and a newcomer were watching me, and my wife. Now, I can't live that way, I mean, but that's, that's what I aspire to do. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Simply, that is, stay focused on the purpose. What is the purpose? And if you don't have a purpose, you're probably not going to fulfill that purpose. If my purpose in my marriage is for me to feel good, I'm probably not going to fulfill a purpose in that marriage. If my purpose at work, I'm hiring somebody right now, um, and, uh, and I got a bunch of resumes in. And one of the resumes, and I had asked in this ad for experience, pertinent experience, and salary history. And um, one of the resumes was, um, uh, said it had like 10 questions. What's the benefits packets? What's the pay state? What's this? What's that? What's that? Uh, if, 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 give me this, and I'll share with you, my, I'll share with you a passive experience that you'll be excited about. <laughs> it's not even worth responding to. I mean, I started to give him a, a glib response and say, and, and write some sarcastic note back to him because that is my nature. But, uh, but I, uh, <laughs> But as I am learning to be thoughtful and kind uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> you know, I just didn't do anything. I mean, what do you say to somebody like that? You know? And what I was asking for was somebody who was trained in communication and the ability to uh, communicate well using the Internet. So what I did was I got several... Uh, resumes that were actually converted into a PDF file so that when it printed out, it printed out the same on all computers, done through an email process, and those people demonstrated to me they had the ability that I wanted, uh, and that's what I was looking for. They demonstrated their ability to be of service, 
And those were the three people I ended up talking to. Stay focused on the purpose. Barbara and I love each other. We support each other. I did not want to be where I was, holding my wife when her father died, holding her when her mother died right after, in that hospital room, tears. That was a difficult time. But I have never felt God's presence more because I forced myself to be there and to go through everything with her. And I can tell you, and Keith shared the same experience when we were there and holding her hand, and her heart stopped while we were talking. It was like that whole room filled with a flutter of angels. I believe that sometimes when we do the toughest work, we have the strongest connection to God, because that's when we're weakest. Purpose is something that can elude us sometimes because we get our trappings mixed up with our purpose. In work, and I had... A sponsor one time, he said, what is it you do? And I gave him several titles. I do, I do talent inventories for people now, but this is how I got into it because I was so confused about what I was doing. And I gave him several titles. He said, I don't know what your title is. I want to know what it is you do. What's your purpose here on earth? Can you make a house? Can you, can you fix a car? Because a lot of us are in jobs where we don't have a specific, you know, it's you know, all these middlemen and selling stuff or finances or, like me, making films, but... What do you really make? Um, what part of the film are you uh, involved in and so forth? It says, what is your purpose? In 1935, the year that Alcoholic Anonymous began, 80% of all people in this country and all goods in this country were transported by the railroad. The railroad companies dominated this entire country. There were cars around, plenty of cars around. But the railroads had dominated since the 18, late 1800s. Eighty percent of all goods and people were transported by the railroad. Within 25 years, those same companies were facing wholesale bankruptcy. What had happened to them? They had forgotten their purpose. Their purpose, pure and simple, was to transport people and goods from one point to another. It was not to build railroads. Had they remembered their purpose and had they taken advantage of trucking and airplanes and barges and remembered that that was their purpose, not singularly just to use the railroad, then they would have become transportation tycoons instead of ex-railroad tycoons. And so in our life, in our marriages, in business, it's important to remember our purpose. These are spiritual principles. And I am convinced that the railroad people were, were smart men, but they forgot their purpose. The sixth tradition is an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend a name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. And in, in the common sense vernacular of, of, of my original sponsor, that means mind your own business. If it's my business at home, I take care of it. If it's Barbara's business, she takes care of it, and I don't need to tell her what to do. At work, I have a job. If I give somebody else some authority to do a job, I need to let them do their job. I don't, do, I don't try to sponsor my wife, Barbara. We got married, and for a while she would come to me, because you you know, that's a fine line there. And she got her sponsor, and she would come, and I'd start 
you know, because I wanted to control her a little bit, so I did that a little bit, and then sponsor went out, and uh, and uh, and she she talks, she tells, I mean, she she learned the same lessons. Uh, she went to her sponsor early on. I didn't know that I was causing a problem, but I, I'd been a bastard. I, we got married when I was 34, so I'd been a bastard for a long time. And she went to her sponsor, and she said, I just cannot stand it that he takes the bathroom seat and just leaves the toilet seat up. And, um, and that was a big issue with her, and I didn't know it was even bothering her. So her sponsor heard that about ten times. She said, I don't want to hear that again, not one more time. From now on, you put the bathroom seat up for him after you use it. And her, her, her sponsor has got 44 years in the program, and, and, uh, and her sponsor said, not one more time. Don't want to hear it. You do it. And so she said, what? And then she started doing it. And she did it for about a month before I noticed. And then I went in and I said, have you developed some kind of strange new bathroom habit? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well, she, I mean, she tells that in her talk, and I didn't even know it until after the fact. And now we think it's funny, and because of that, it's just like Keith said, if, if I do stuff for her, she does stuff for me. So I do put the bathroom seat down for her. But that helped me do it more than if we'd had an argument about it, because I saw the, you know, she, was trying, she became thoughtful to me, I became thoughtful to her. My dad and I, as I mentioned, we had to get back together. My dad and I do not agree on politics. And I had to learn in going to my dad early on when I'm making amends and I finally got back in his good graces and we start communicating and we start spending time together, I had to go. I I would go there and my dad and I would end up arguing about politics and he gets very passionate about it. I had to learn not to say anything when I go to see my dad. If my dad starts talking about it, I just like this. Because what is the point? There's no point. Mind my own business. And because of that, my dad and I don't have arguments. We love each other, and we have a great relationship, and, when, and he's active and 86, and when he goes, I have no regrets, and he has no regrets. We have a good relationship. Here's how severe this can get within Alcoholics Anonymous, even. There are no such things as AA clubhouses. They don't exist. AA doesn't own property, nor do we have clubs. We have groups. Groups may rent some space within a club, a church, a school, any place else to have a meeting. There is no such thing. If you go to a club and you say I'm a, and somebody asks you what group you, you go to, you do not say I belong to the Triangle Club. You, you say I belong to the 7 a.m. group, which meets at the Triangle Club. But we've been confused that a lot. And we recently had a guy who moved to town. And you know how when you move to Newtown, you need to straighten AA out. And this guy decided he needed to straighten AA out in Atlanta. So he moved to town. And if you are the delegate or the head of intergroup, you get a lot of phone calls from people who would like for you to referee. And so I got a phone call from this guy, and he said, uh, I actually got an email from this guy. I had just become delegate, and I got 12 emails from him in three days. He was the first guy to email me, and he emailed me a lot. And so, uh, <laughs> and he wanted to straighten out the club that was there, a club down near the airport, and he said, this club is taking a grant from uh, from." Uh, the local city, and they're not spending it for what they're giving it, and I believe that's dishonest, and, and I just think that it's not following the traditions, which back each one of the emails, I was trying to be patient, you know, and thoughtful and kind and loving, and I kept sending him, this, I kept sending him the same answer. I said, 
we wouldn't control a club any more than we would tell a church how to run its business or tell a hospital how to run its business if we happened to be meeting in there. So he didn't get the answer he wanted from me, didn't get the answer he wanted from Helen at Intergroup, so he went to GSO and called GSO. GSO, of course, turns around and calls a delegate, so I got another phone call back. He says, you know this guy named Chris? I said, yes. And, and, so, and so by the end of this, Chris made his point, and as a result of making his point, there was a restraining order issued on him, and he's not allowed to go to that club anymore. <laughs> because the members of the club, who are members of the club separately from being members of the group, took out a restraining order. And, you know, I mean, and he pushed it uh, to the point where, that, that, and that's sad. And he may separate, and he may not stay sober. He obviously had a resentment. But the tradition here is to mind your own business. Um, step or Tradition 7. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution. This is an extremely important tradition in relationships. We are not free to do God's will. We are not free to do what God asks us to do if we are in financial bondage. If we are dependent upon other people, we are not free to, to fulfill our purpose. On Friday this week, I will go to the General Service Conference in New York, and one of the big things we'll talk about is, is finances. Every year we do, and we always have the balance of are we supporting off of our self-contributions or are we supporting because we're selling a lot of books? And if we sell a lot of books, are we selling how many are we selling to Hazleton? I'm on the Grapevine Committee, and last year we had a, a big ruckus because they, grapevines were being sold wholesale to Hazleton at a little bit different deal than somebody else would get, so they'd sell lots of them. And we brought in two attorneys, and we stayed up every night till midnight coming up with a solution and came back with a solution that says Hazleton gets the same deal as everybody else, as an intergroup, as everybody. It's restraint of free trade says that we, if we sell it at all, we can't restrict who buys it. But we can certainly make sure that nobody gets a special deal um, and that anybody who buys it has to buy it through AA Grapevine or an AA Grapevine rep and so that it's sold uniformly and fairly um, uh, throughout. But if we were to sell a lot of books to Hazleton, and our budget depended upon how many books Hazleton bought, Hazleton could tell us how to run AA. Well, the same thing happens in my personal life. If I am constantly running paycheck to paycheck, then I'm not free to pick up and go do something God tells me to do. And if I'm supposed to go to South Africa to help start AA over there for three months, like our friend Lou Fenimore did, Lou was a guy who did, did well in the diamond business, and he went to South Africa one summer, and there was, he had a friend over there, and they had one AA meeting. And while he was there, he said, this is the only meeting you've gotten. So they spent three months going around the country. And I told you about getting that email from the guy that uh, had seen my film over there and, and had, had said that, you know, they were very touched by the film, so I developed an email relationship with them. I said, by the way, do you know Lou Fenimore? And they said, yes, he's the man who started Alcoholics Anonymous in, in South Africa. He just happened to be over there uh, buying a couple diamonds and on vacation. He took three months of his own time after he saw the need, and they traveled around, and they started about 20 groups. And those 20 groups got more groups going. One person can make a big difference where somebody needs this message. But he wouldn't have been able to do that if he'd had to run Mike back because, you know, he was, he was running paycheck to paycheck. Economic freedom, not getting things, not getting new cars, not getting big houses, but economic freedom, having some money in the bank, allows me to be free to do what God wants me to do. 
if I work at a job where I absolutely hate it and I'm doing something against my principles, but I have to take the paycheck, then I'm not doing God's will either. And and this this relationship, I'll tell you how 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 devious this is. I was doing very very well before 2001. And in 2001, several things happened. One was 9-11. But shortly after 9-11, I went into the hospital with a kidney stone and a ruptured appendix. I almost died. I had three strokes. I had some problems. And I had a year without any work. I had a year without any work after I'd bought a big house in, a, in, in Buckhead, which is kind of our Beverly Hills section. And that was all my equity was in that house. That was my retirement was in that house. Well, all the people that were buying those big, expensive houses left town because after 9-11, all those people had been making their money off the stock market and they weren't around anymore. They had, they had vanished. They'd lost their money. So now the value of my house has gone down. I had to take out a second mortgage because I couldn't make the house payments. And I had three months where I took money. This is, this is with over 25 years in the program. I had three months where I took money that was paid to me for my supplier's bills and I helped pay my house payment, thinking I'll catch up shortly. Now, I don't think I discussed that with my sponsor ahead of time. <laughs> but I went back to my sponsor, and I, and I usually don't have to anymore have to ask him what to do. I figured I just went back. I said, you know what I've been doing? Uh-huh. And, no, he didn't know, but I told him. And I said, I've I got to go to uh, these people and apologize to them and get them paid off as quickly as possible. He said, well, the sooner you do it, the better. I mean, he's not judgmental. He, he knows. And I did it, and I got them paid off. But then that meant that I couldn't make my house payments. And so the people that I wasn't making the house payment said, well, we'll stick with you for a period of time. And they did because they, God always has a plan. When I think that the plan's not going to work because it's difficult, if I'll do it the right way, God always has a plan. So they let me stay there until we could sell the house, and that's what we did. So it increased. I mean, the house payments were going up because that was interest, and so I lost that money. But I was going to lose it anyway. It wasn't the supplier's money that I was losing. And I was getting way out of balance and feeling very poorly about it, and this was preventing me from doing God's will. And, and getting up even and sharing with you about what God is doing in my life, what, if I'm phony and I'm living in a way that I know is counter to that, uh, is hypocritical. And, and you may not know it, but I know it, and it makes me feel uh, terrible inside, and I can't be a very good man, I can't be a very good husband. And when I am living at odds with my spiritual nature... I take it out on somebody because I'm, I'm mad at me, but I'll take it out on my wife. I'll take it out on people I work with. I'll become grumpy. And I'll also, when I am doing something uh, that is uh, letting my character defects come out, instead of me seeing the good in you, I'm also seeing the bad in you. What's cluttering me up affects my eyesight when I'm looking at you. So it's a spiritual disease, and I had to get rid of that, and I had to go to And the people I went and apologized to appreciated it. They said, that's fine. Just catch up as quickly as you can. And it worked out fine. And it only went three months. I mean, I didn't, you know. But this is something I did with long-term sobriety and a decent program because I didn't know how else to handle it at the time. And I had some fear I'd lose that house. It was fear-based. We read in here, God is our employer. To the extent that we keep close to him and perform his work well, he provides what we needed. But he's not my employer if somebody else owns me. And if I owe a lot of money to somebody else, somebody else owns me. So part of becoming spiritually fit is to get our debts paid off, to become free financially. And that includes borrowing money, living off a dad, whatever it is. If someone else is taking care of me, 
then I am not free to do God's will. Eighth tradition, Alcoholics Anonymous shall remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Simply, this is do what you can, but get help when you need it. I would not tell somebody how to fix their plumbing problems, their electrical problems. I wouldn't tell somebody how to take care of their legal problems. We do have lawyers that are members of the program or friends of the program that we send new people to if they need certain help. Some people do need help. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, we have a doctor here, uh, and if somebody had some medical problems last night, they could go to the doctor. Uh, we have, you know, I am not an expert in many, many areas. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we have certain people that do things. We have people that that write and people that, that uh, publish and people that print and people that package things in boxes. And we, when we do a film up there for a public service announcement, we get people that are professional that do it. They may be members of the program. You know, Lee is a member of the program, but that's an outside business that he's got right there. I mean, we employ people to do certain jobs. And that's better than a bunch of us volunteers getting together who have no idea how to run a sound system or how to uh, tape anything. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because it would be distracting, but we do we do all the time. We have we have outside. This is a business here. This retreat ground. We didn't come out here and build this and, and that. So we, we 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 do what we can, but we depend upon other people. Um, you know, it's like me. Again, I go back to I, I'm I'm teaching Frank about his marriage. I wasn't a marriage counselor. I needed to learn how to live myself. Um, the ninth tradition. A, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Keep it simple. Perfect example of this is the Agriculture Department in Washington, D.C. There are 50 federal employees for every farmer. That's how big the bureaucracy is getting. If you've ever been up to Washington, D.C., and you go, that agriculture building is one of the biggest, longest, massive buildings. And I don't know very many farmers. Really, I don't know that many farmers anymore. Everybody I know lives around a city or a town or does something else. So there aren't lots and lots of farmers, and they're 50, and, and it's created a crisis. We always have problems in agriculture in this country, and we have it because we pay so much. I don't need to overcomplicate anything in my marriage. I have principles that show me what to do. I know when I should pray with Barbara. Barbara is going through some problems with grief right now, and I do not do, know what to do except to hold her. So we got a friend of ours who's a professional therapist who deals with grief therapy to deal with her, and they got together for lunch last week. That's her job. I don't know what. I don't have wisdom in that area. We can give people too much information. And that's one thing I see alcoholics doing a lot. We try to explain ourselves and explain our behavior. If I go to the dry cleaners and there are three people behind me in line, all I really need to do is point to the spot. I don't need to live, give a long story about how I got that spot on there and, and, and how it was embarrassing and go through the whole thing. Well, I got three people behind me waiting. And if somebody says, oh, your dry cleaning is not ready, instead of me going through an entire history of why the dry cleaning business should be restructured in the United States because of lack of business ethics, at that point I have to accept it and say, well, when will it be ready? I mean, the principles are here. It's just they don't automatically come to mind. The tenth tradition. 
Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the ANA ought never be drawn into public controversy. Opinions, and, and there's a guy named Bob Darrell who talks about the first thing we get when we get sober, the first thing we get back when we get sober is we get our opinions. And uh, op opinions uh, get us off track. Everybody has opinions, that's fine. But they get us off track. On my truck out there, you will see two things on the outside of it. The American flag. And if you're in this country and you have a problem with the American flag, then that's your problem. <laughs> but I have a little circle and triangle on the back. The reason I have that circle and triangle on the back is because a trucker, somebody else, I've had many occasions where somebody would be driving along and I'd pull off and they'd pull behind me and they'd say, can you get a cup of coffee, can you talk? because I want people to know, and it's small. I don't have a huge sign that says, honk if you love Bill W. <laughs> but I do have that little sign that lets me know, lets other people know that I'm in the program. If they want to talk to me, it lets them know. Um, and the reason that I don't do that, as I said, I'm an active citizen. I, I, I vote. I have worked for political candidates. Uh, I belong to some veterans organizations. Um, I belong to a church. Um, I, I'm, I am active. I am an activist. I am somebody who believes you do things and you make a difference. Uh, and, but what if you don't agree, if the new man doesn't agree with my politics, if he doesn't like the Atlanta Braves, if, if he was a different branch of the service, if, if whatever it was, I have the entitlement to do whatever I want to with my life. But as far as you knowing me, the only thing that's important for you to know is that I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and even there, I have a great deal of responsibility with that. If I am using, and, and, and if I'm driving that truck and I pull in front of somebody and cut them off and they hawk at me and I give them the sign and they see the circle and triangle on there and they know that that stands for Alcoholics Anonymous, what have I just done to attract somebody to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? So if you're going to act like a jerk and you've got a big thing that says, I'm a friend of Bill W. on the back, either don't act like a jerk or take the I'm a friend of Bill W. A sticker off the back of your car. It doesn't help us. There was a great scene in, in, uh, uh, in a movie called uh, The Right Stuff where John Glenn, who was this very principled, very marine pilot, and he was a good man, and he was giving some of the other pilots a little bit of trouble about the fact that they were sleeping with people outside of their marriage. And it almost tore them apart. Now, I believe that John was right. But I also believe that that was the wrong place, that their purpose there together was not to judge each other or judge each other's behavior. He could serve as an example to them in the way he lived, and I think that's what we do rather than criticize others. We do it in the program. My sponsor serves an example to me in the program, but he doesn't criticize everybody else because they don't do it. Because at one time he did, and we grow out of it and we become examples. So our opinions get us off track. The 11th tradition is our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Simply, what we do speaks louder than what we say. Again, the singular story, me going into some place and me, me saying that I want to help this fellow become a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous, then I go in and I'm too loud in the singular store. 
or a bumper sticker where you're cutting people off. I have gone and made amends to many, many people for behavior of mine in the past. And a lot of it was behavior that came out of my mouth. When I apologized to Linda Baptist Church, I didn't apologize for what I had done because God had brought me back to a way to live where I didn't have to do those kind of things. I apologized for what I've been saying about them all those times, that they were hypocrites. Amends means changing. It doesn't mean apologizing. An apology might be part of the explanation of what we're doing, but the important thing for me with my family was that I started calling them every Sunday, being with them every Sunday. If I have been rude all my life to service people, to waiters and people because they had to put up with me and I would be short with them and I would be, be, be flip with them and not tip them very well, the way that I make amends is to be even more considerate of them and tip better in the future and take care of them. And if they're having a bad day and not doing very well, still treat them lovingly. Amends is me changing. It doesn't have to do with me explaining so much. When we're talking about this. I have been to a conference where a speaker got up and talked about um, the spiritual principles and then hit on a girl who had 30 days in the program and slept with her. Besides the fact that that could kill that girl, what kind of example did that lead? But that was visible to me because it was under a spotlight. How many times does that happen in a meeting where one of us flirts with a girl who's new, who's searching for some spiritual answer? Our actions speak louder than anything we say. The twelfth and final tradition, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. God always does credit, always. There's never an exception. That's the, that is the foundation of this program. You saw the film yesterday, God created this. No matter how smart they are, people with two or three years sobriety could not have created the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. God put that together. God brought those two people together in the gatehouse. God brought us together here today. God gets the credit. And the first thing I was taught to do when I came in was ask God to keep me from that first drink in the morning and thank him at night. And in every exercise of power in my life, that is exactly what has happened. I started smoking when I saw the graduate, and I never did like smoking. I, I always had problems with sinuses, so I was not a good smoker. I'd, you know, it was just like a phlegm machine. So, and, and I'm, you know... And I didn't like it. I mean, I really didn't like it. But, you know, once you're doing it, you're doing it. And, I was, and after I quit drinking, I went from two or three packs to four packs a day. I was just like, they're hanging all over the place. And they were L&Ms. They were hard to find. I don't know why I was choosy, but they were L&Ms. And I thought that I would quit smoking. And I decided I got a bad cold when I had about ten months in the program, and I decided I'd quit smoking. And I told my sponsor, and my sponsor didn't give me the response that I thought. And uh, he doubted that I could quit smoking. I don't think he doubted that God could take the desire away. He doubted that I could quit smoking. So I tried to quit smoking, and I didn't quit smoking. And then it drove me crazy. And then I realized I had to realize I was powerless over nicotine. And then I didn't want to quit smoking. It wasn't bad enough. So I asked God, because I tried two or three times. So I asked God, would you please um, give me the willingness to be willing to quit? So for the next year, he gave me the willingness. He gave me the willingness by me burning up uh, the, the only good suit that I had, by burning up the back of my, I 
threw the cigarette out of my, I can't remember what I was driving, a Vega, I think, uh, out of my Vega, and, and, uh, and uh, that was a collector's item. And, and, uh, uh, and I think I burned up, I, got, I started a fire in the back seat. Uh, I was at the point in the program where I was allowed to go out with girls, and I'd go out with them, and they said, ooh, I, you smoke, don't you? And, and, uh, and I'd, I'd want to go see a movie, and halfway through the movie, I'd have to go out and have a cigarette, so I'd miss, you know, I, I never made it all the way through Star Wars. That came out the year I got sober. And, and, so, and all of these things were happening. And then I remember being on a plane ride. I finally got employed, and I'm on a plane ride up to Oshkosh to meet with this guy, and we fly all the way up there, and I can't smoke in this private plane. And we land in Oshkosh, it was from Louisville, and, and we get there, and the guy meets us in his Mercedes, and I said, do you mind if I smoke? He says, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. And I'm, 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 I'm vibrating all over the place, and finally I realized that maybe I should want to be free of this because I'm not really enjoying it all that much. <laughs> And I believe that the reason we get sober is because we finally get to the point where we want the freedom from a drink more than we want the effect of the drink. And I believe that the reason I quit smoking was got, you know, I didn't get arrested for smoking. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and I knew where I woke up. So I, I rationalized it wasn't as bad. But for me, it was a bad problem. And so finally on that day, I said, God, please remove the desire for a cigarette. That was October 18th, 1978. I have not had a desire for a cigarette since that day. God did that. God always gets the credit. In our fellowship, there were a group of men and women in the 1970s who all stood together in a picture, and they were all Hollywood stars. And there were about 60 of them, if you remember this. And every one of them got drunk since then. And there are a whole lot of people that were out in Hollywood that were members of Alcoholics Anonymous that nobody knew about. And as far as I know, most of them have stayed sober. Because if we're not out in front taking the, if we get out in front and we take the credit, we lose the power. The power is in the humility. The power is in giving the credit to God. That is the basis for our program. That is the basis for everything we do. Unity, we before me, and giving God the credit are probably the two biggest uh, anchors for our traditions. But followed correctly, these principles here allow me to be married for 21 years, and I'm a guy who... Once I started drinking, never had a relationship for more than a few months. They allow me to make a good living. They allow me to have a purpose in my life. They allow me to have very close and intimate friends where I share everything and they know all about me, good and bad, and I don't care because I know they love me for who I am. They allow me to have a relationship with a sponsor that has lasted for years and years and years. And You can find fault with anybody. My sponsor is a human being. I've gotten mad at him and he's gotten mad at me but he has helped guide me to the point where my life has value. If you are here today, your life has value. There is some purpose for your life. God has picked a purpose for your life. And when I almost died three years ago, and, came, and, and, and they didn't know why I didn't die, because normally you die from paradise within two days, and I had it for five days before I was even treated for it. I had 105 degree fever, and they called my family and say goodbye. But I believe I was, I'm here because God had something else for me to do. And I got a phone call. I've been praying about doing another film. And I got a phone call from a guy named Bill. He wrote, my name is Bill W., and he had done some other films. And he's a member of our fellowship, and he's been around for quite a while. And, 
and he called me, and he had retired and decided he wasn't going to do anything more, and then he got prostate cancer, and after 40 chemotherapy treatments, the cancer is gone. And he, he believes that because God saved his life, there was something else he needed to do. And, he, and so the two of us are working on an announcement we'll make in September where we're going to do a film. We've got all the letters between Bill and, and Lois and Ann and Dr. Bob. And there may be something else that we can contribute because God kept us here. But God gets the credit. God put us together. God took care of the details. It wasn't, I had no power over whether I was going or staying that day. And Bill had no power over whether he was going or staying. And God healed him of cancer. And I believe once we know where the power is and we realize that we can't do anything by ourselves, that it's we. We found the key to every relationship that we can have. So I guess we'll take a break now, and then uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about fulfilling our purpose in a couple minutes. (laughs) 